Good morning again, everyone. A lot of times I say that uh, after a lesson and someone mentions to me that there was something in there that that particularly resonated with them or or something that they needed to hear, I usually say something along the lines of, me too, (laughs) because so much of the time I find that I'm preaching to myself. And I think also a lot of times uh, the result of the, the sermon that is prepared and preached and how effective it is probably has a lot less to do with how well I prepare but how well I've listened along the way and how well I've learned the lesson that I needed to learn. And so this morning, and this was planned so many weeks ago, that this is what I would be preaching about in this morning is a series of things and how we would how we shape our faith. And the last couple weeks especially, last week talking about the work side of things and, and what we do and how we make all of our work holy unto the Lord, no matter what our labors are, because it's all in the context of being a disciple, all in the context of being his children. And then the flip side of the coin this week, that that rest that is so necessary, that rest that we take in God, how it's also so necessary for us, and it's so pivotal in how our faith is shaped. And this seemed like a really good arc to take in the midst of of the end of of this little series. And I'm exhausted. (laughs) This morning, at about 6.30, laying there, just woken up, which was in and of itself kind of strange, because usually Sunday morning, just to make sure I'm where I need to be and in the mindset I need to be in, that's the morning that I usually get up 5 or 5.30 to get my day started and be prepared for what I've set out to do. And there I was at 6.30 this morning laying in bed, and Christy asked how I'm doing, and I said, I am tired. (laughs) I am just wiped out. And she said, a little bit later in the conversation, so what are you preaching about this morning? I said, I don't even know at this point, (laughs) because I'm supposed to be talking about rest. (laughs) And and I am exhausted. Now, it was a weird week. Most of you probably aren't aware of this, of what sort of happened through the course of the week, um, due to the the passing of of Christy's grandmother um, last weekend. The, the, we kind of had to juggle some things and shuffle some things around. Um, and the best we could come up with um, in short notice with the time available and funds available was for Christy and, and Timothy, of, of course, uh, to, to fly down to Houston on Thursday for the funeral on Friday and then fly back on Saturday, which then um, leaves me with Isaac and Noah and so we kind of reshuffled my week and where my day off of the week was going to be, kind of shifting it later. And so, you know, Thursday and Friday and a little bit Saturday um, was a little bit different in our household because mom wasn't around. And so I realized the, the best game plan that I could come up with of how to deal with a couple boys who were really missing their mom and really missing their baby brother it's like, we've just got to keep moving. <laughs> we we got we to do. We gotta keep, I'm going to keep them so busy that these, this time will fly by. And, and it worked pretty well. At the end of the days, they were thinking about, wow, this you know, seems like we've done so much, but it's gone so fast. And they were exhausted, and I was exhausted. So mission kind of accomplished on that front, except for the aftermath. And then after it was all said and done, I was just exhausted and... <laughs> 
I don't know why, but as we were singing that last song and looking at the scripture reading, which were the same words, I hope you noticed, um, I look at that and I started to cry. <laughs> I was like, this is not good timing. I have to get up in front of people here. <laughs> and I just had this moment where I realized, wow, there's a lot of application here. <laughs> and it's so fundamental to who we are that when Jesus says these words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he's not saying, okay, now, out of the whole set of you who are listening to me, or out of the whole group of humanity, um, just, okay, if you're wearied and burdened, okay, you raise your hand, okay, you guys go over there, and I'm going to give you rest, and the rest of you, go, there is no rest of you. <laughs> he's talking to all of us. Maybe you're not feeling it today. Maybe you're not in a season of being weary and burdened. But you have been, you will be, you probably are now, (laughs) you never know. All of us fall into this category of all you who are wearied and burdened. All of us fall into that category. And Jesus says to us, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anybody feel like you need rest for your soul sometime? He is the one who says, I will give you rest. Because, wow, don't we look everywhere in the world sometimes to find that rest? And there he was so long ago. We have it recorded here in black and white or red, depending on the printing. And he says, all of you who are weary and burdened, come to me. I'm the one who will give you rest. And the way we slice and dice scripture sometimes, a lot of times we take that passage that's so familiar and we take it in isolation and we don't notice what comes right after it. The Sabbath is what comes right after it. There at the beginning of chapter 12 in Matthew, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. See, they were doing work when they were supposed to be at rest, according to how they understood things. So, verse 3, he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on, on Sabbath duty... In the temple, desecrate the Sabbath, and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I love over in Mark's parallel account of this. He doesn't just say that he's Lord of the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees, they had gotten things mixed up a little bit in a way that we're all prone to doing. When they looked at this Sabbath that they were supposed to have, this period of rest that was codified into their law, they saw prohibition. Prohibition. 
but they didn't see purpose. They saw, here's the list of things that we can't do. And it was a mighty long list. And they made all their traditions, all their things surrounding the law to make sure they had as comprehensive of an understanding of they could, as they could of what the Sabbath means. It means you don't do this or this or this or this or this. And the list went on and on. These are the things that you don't do on the Sabbath. But somewhere along the way, They forgot what these words mean. I deserve mercy, desire, excuse me, mercy, not sacrifice. There was a purpose to their religious practice that was not the practice in and of itself. There was something deeper behind it, and I think that's revealed in Mark's account here, when it says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We know that we need Rest. Study after study, just from a purely secular perspective, everyone understands this to some degree, whether or not we practice it or not. We know that it's when we sleep that those short-term memories, the things that we've learned and observed, move over into long-term memory. Sometimes even it's when our subconscious has the chance to sort of work through some things that we are having difficulty consciously processing and dealing with, or some dreams, both good and bad, sometimes show up. We know that it's after exertion that our muscles are being built up. It's not when we're doing the workout that our muscles are being built. No, it's after that exertion, after they rest, as they recover, as they repair, to be stronger than they were before. Not just because of the exertion, because if it's all exertion, well, no, then you get injury, then you get damage. But the work followed by the rest, that is the natural rhythm that we were made to follow. But sometimes we're so unlikely to follow it because we think, okay, well, we can do more, though, can't we? Anyone ever for a New Year's resolution say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape, I'm going to exercise, and you start working out every day until you hit a wall because you pull a muscle, you throw your back out, you do something weird to your knee that's always giving you trouble. And then what happens? Then you just stop. Then your progress is over because you haven't observed those natural rhythms that God has built into each one of us of both work, both labor, and the rest that we need. And so he gave us the idea of Sabbath, this very concept of rest, because we need rest as much as we need to labor. But when we think to ourselves, oh, but I can, I can do just a little more, can't I? And we are especially prone to that in this culture. We are especially prone to it in a time where our world is defined by consumption. Our economy is defined by consumption. And what we can do, and if we're going to consume, well, that means we better produce. So that we can consume more and that we can produce something for someone else to consume. So that I can have more, so that I can consume more. And it's this continual, continual cycle. And rest gets left out somewhere in the middle of all that. And when I think about that, I can't help but be reminded of what Jesus said in John 14, 27, when he talks about the peace that he gives his disciples. This was in a time when they had very little peace because they were dealing with what was about to happen to Jesus. He was trying to help them understand this sacrifice that was coming, this betrayal, this arrest, this mockery of a trial, as he was going to be taken away from them. But in the midst of it, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. We think about the peace that Jesus gives us, gives to his disciples, then the peace that he offers to us now. But I don't think we can need to forget that he says, I don't give to you this peace that I'm giving. I don't give it to you the way the world gives it to you. Because the world may try to offer us some kind of peace, but really it's just as we're part of the machine of modern society. And so the whole idea of Sabbath is a very countercultural thing. For us to stop, for us to be still, for us to not be acting in every moment is an act of resistance to the script of this culture that says you've got to do more, you've got to be more, you've got to produce more so that you will have value and worth and can be part of a functioning society. Yes, we work. Yes, we labor. And we do it all to the glory of God. We talked about that last week, but we also must find rest. But this world tells us that rest is worthless. Rest doesn't add value because of where it sees value coming from to begin with. And this is not a new problem. I look at this from our modern perspective. I see how our modern world works, how our modern economies work, how they fight against giving us any chance of rest for us to just stop and be human for a moment. And I mean truly human, human the way God has designed us to be, to rest and find peace in Him so that our whole selves can grow and flourish as we transform more into that truly human image given to us by Christ. And I look at that, I look at this alternative of God's economy to the market economy, and I feel like it's a very modern problem. Eh, not really. It's a very human problem. It's been there with us all along. And in fact, as we look back on this idea of Sabbath, where it first really starts to show up in Scripture, we can start to see how this was a countercultural thing from the very beginning. In the retelling of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when we get to the one about the Sabbath day, there's an interesting little twist, an extra little bit of commentary and reminder in the Deuteronomy retelling that's not in the original list in Exodus. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay, sounds good, makes sense, just like the original giving of the Ten Commandments. But then we get a little extra when we get further on. After it describes, on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And that's where we start to get a little bit of a shift. A reminder that we need to let the servants rest just as you do. And here's why. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded that you observe the Sabbath day. This, this prescription for Sabbath rest, it wasn't just sort of there in isolation. It wasn't just there because, hey, let's parallel the creation story a bit as on the, the seventh day God rested. So God's people should do that too. I think it was maybe more the other way around. He was getting ready to teach them a lesson because Because they were slaves in Egypt, and God brought them out of that slavery, that's why the Lord had commanded them to observe the Sabbath day. It's Sabbath 
because they were slaves. You see, the way that Pharaoh's world worked doesn't really have a whole lot to do with how God and his world worked. In Exodus chapter 5, I did have a bookmark. (laughs) There's a description of the way work is done in Pharaoh's world. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. Now here's where Pharaoh's worldview comes in. But the king of Egypt says, Moses and Aaron, are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Because, of course, that was their only value. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So they do this. They make the work even harder because to Pharaoh, these people are a labor force and they are nothing else. And when things, when it looked like they wanted to have rest from their labor, well, let's give them more. Let's make their labor harder and not listen to any lies they may tell about why they can't do it. So a little later on in the story, and most of us know the rest of this Exodus story, Eventually, as the plagues go through, the people are, do escape captivity with that mighty hand and outstretched arm of the Lord that was mentioned there in Deuteronomy. They are free. They cross the Red Sea. They get away from their captivity in Egypt. And look what happens. The whole Israel community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Here is their response to being taken out of their slavery. When they come into this wilderness, their first thought is, okay, God brought us out into a wilderness, but Pharaoh gave us food. Well, yeah, Pharaoh gave you food, but he was your captor. He was who you were enslaved to. They saw that the way they got their food, the way they received provision, was they labored. And that, and because of their labor, 
Pharaoh gave them something to eat so that they would be able to continue to labor. That was the only cycle that they knew and that they understand. So they come out to this wilderness. Well, there's no work to do and there's no food to eat. So they think, well, maybe we were better off as slaves. Because that's a system we can understand. I keep working and I keep working and I keep working and at least there's some food at the end of the day. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. You see, this whole idea of Sabbath rest, it actually came along before the Ten Commandments were given, before there was this remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Even before that happened, there was this crucial moment where Israel had to decide, who do we look to for provision? Do we look to provision in the world of Pharaoh, where our never-ending toil, our never-ending labor is what provides our sustenance? Or do we live within the world of God, which says, yes, there's work to do, But that's not where your value comes from. That is not where your provision comes from. You will receive what you need, not because you are my slaves and I am your ruler, but because you are my people and I am your God. I am the one who loved you enough to hear your cries in slavery and to bring you out of Egypt. Do you trust me? You see, maybe you didn't like Pharaoh, But at least you trusted his system. You trusted that in those set of rules, that at least things kind of made sense to you. Will you trust me in a way that might not make sense? Will you work such as it is? Will you go out for for six days and gather the food that you need? Only enough for that day, not storing up extra, not looking at this wilderness thinking, wow, I don't know if it's going to show up again tomorrow, so we better get some more. Well, you know, those that did... That stuff that carried over the next day, well, it got pretty nasty the next day. It wasn't edible. Except for that one day. On that sixth day of the week, when God says, on that day, get the double portion. Get enough for the next day, and it's going to be there for you. All the people that gathered something extra, which some did, on those days they weren't supposed to, they looked at it the next day, and it was, well, full of maggots, basically. Inedible. They said, okay, you've seen that happen. Now on the sixth day, I want you to trust me enough that you will get the double portion, that you will trust that it's going to be there, and you're not going to go out looking on that seventh day, that day I've given you for rest, you're not going to go out and look for more. Which, of course, they obeyed perfectly, right? No. Um, Exodus 16, starting in verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. Guess what? (laughs) They found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. He says, Don't you understand there's a reason that I'm doing this. 
This is why I've given you the Sabbath, so you can show your trust in me by resting in me. You can put your trust not in your own strength, not in your ability to produce, not your ability to plan and store up and have a good reserve for when times are inevitably going to get tough. Now, sometimes there is wisdom in doing that. We have plenty of wisdom literature within Scripture that reminds us of that. But when it comes down to it, where do we look for our provision? Do we trust Him enough to find our rest, not in what we can do, but instead to find our rest in Him? Can we cultivate the created self, the self as we were meant to be, Setting aside the manufactured self. Setting aside of what this modern world has to say about who we are, how we function, where we place our trust, and how we get our provision. Can we set that aside even for a little while? Can we practice the discipline of no? Of saying, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I don't need to do more right now. I don't need to strive that little bit extra. I don't need to take all the margin out of my life. Because instead, I'm going to be still, and I'm going to trust. Because instead of finding my rest in what I can store up for myself, instead of finding my rest in what I can achieve for myself in a pride of my own accomplishment, instead, I will listen to Jesus who says, Come to me all who are wearied and burdened. I will give you rest. I will find my rest in Him because just like those Israelites in the wilderness, I will find that when I am in a desolate place, when there doesn't seem to be any good option for me, when there seems to be no availability of provision, I can trust the bread from heaven to come down. In fact, that's what Jesus says about Himself. Over in John chapter 6. See, there's this great scene in the beginning of chapter 6 where we're all familiar with where Jesus feeds the 5,000. That night we have the other very well-known scene that sticks in all of our minds from Sunday school classes of Jesus walking on the water. But then they've come there the next day to the other side of the lake and the people have followed. The people have followed because he fed them. The people will follow because, of, hey, we don't know quite how he did it, but this guy has given us food. More food than we've probably ever seen. So we're going to go wherever this guy goes. We're going to follow him out into the wilderness. We're going to go to the desolate place because somehow, some way, there's bread here. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not look for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. They're looking to work, to do something. Here's the work of God. To believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give us 
excuse me, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus himself is that living bread. Jesus himself is that bread of life. He is that bread that has come down from heaven. And so the question comes to us, where will we place our trust? When we know that we need rest, but we know at the same time, if I just do a little more, if I just exert myself a little more, if I, don't, if I take all that downtime where I could be nourishing my soul and instead nourish maybe my bank account a little more, nourish my business, nourish some advantage that I might be able to gain for myself later down the road, What bread am I seeking out? Am I looking for something that won't spoil? Am I looking for something that will be there tomorrow? Or or will I be looking for something that when I look, eh, the next day, it doesn't look quite so good anymore? Jesus himself, the bread from heaven, has said to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Look at your life. Are you weary and burdened today? There's a pretty good chance that most of us could say, I've at least got a little of that. All of us are part of this humanity that finds ourselves under heavy loads, so many of them that we have placed on ourselves. And Jesus says, I am your provision. I am what you need. I am the one thing that will never spoil, that will never rot, that will never abandon you, that will never fail you. Take your rest, yes, but take it in me. If you need to come to him this morning, if you are wearied and burdened and you need to receive and come in to his rest, we would love to help you do that this morning. If you need to lay down your burdens at the foot of the cross and allow our Lord to lead you into peace, into rest. We'd love to help you do that this morning. If maybe it's for the very first time, you need to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as King, as the Son of God who expressed His love for you as He died on the cross. And then expressed your opportunity, your possibility of rest when He raised again to walk a new life, a new life that He wants to share with you. If you'd like to do that this morning, we'd love to talk to you about taking that step. Or if you're already one of his, if you're already a child of God, if you're already a part of his kingdom, but today you're still a little more weary than you feel like you should be. You're a little more burdened than maybe a child of God ought to feel. Well, that rest is for you too. He never takes that promise away. Even when we set it aside for a little while, even when we allow ourselves to become so weary and burdened, even when we've rejected his rest for a time, he is always there to offer it to us afresh. And if you need your family to surround you, to remind you of that rest that you can find in Him. If you need us to lift you up in prayer so that you can lean more fully upon this Lord, this bread from heaven that will provide you everything you need. 
We'd love to do that this morning. Just please come and let us know how we can serve you while we stand and while we sing.